Well, hey, good morning. Uh, you know, each and every year when we go down to Haiti, there's just some things that just are horrific that, that we see. I have shared with you before that, you know, you just see things that you're like, man, that just shouldn't be happening in the world. But it's also a very beautiful country. And in addition to being beautiful, we also see some amusing things on occasion. Uh, let me give you an example. Take, take a look at this picture here. This is Pastor Palouk. He's the uh, pastor of the Allaire Church, which is the uh, church that we as Exponential, we sponsor. We pay for their whole budget every single year down there. But uh, I want you to notice the t-shirt that he has on there. Redland Little League. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with uh, Redland Little League, it's on the other side of the river here. A couple years ago, they went to the Little League World Series up in uh, Williamsport. And I was trying to explain to Pastor Palouk how ironic it was that we had traveled all the way from Harrisburg to Haiti, and he was wearing a t-shirt of a team that was like right across the river from us. Now, in Haiti, they don't have baseball. On the other side of the island in the Dominican Republic, it's huge, but in Haiti, they don't have it. So I had to explain, number one, what baseball was. And then I had to explain that there was this big tournament just a couple hours away from our home where 30,000 adults showed up to watch little 12-year-olds play this game, right? It went all over his head. <laughs> now, there's another t-shirt that I've been looking for in Haiti as well, and I finally got to see it this past year. If you ever noticed, like, when the, the Super Bowl or the World Series, the, the Stanley Cup, the NBA championships, maybe it's one of the college games, at the very end, when the team has won the championship, immediately they hand them T-shirts and hats that say, you know, this team is the world champion. Have you ever thought about the process of how that has to happen? Because they don't just wait till the final buzzer sounds and they, like, mass produce all these T-shirts and hats. What happens is they actually print them for both teams declaring that both are the world champions. And at the end of the game, one team, they open up the box and they hand them all out. What happens to all the other t-shirts and all the other hats for the team that actually lost the game? They're not the world champion. Well, they end up in countries like Haiti. But Haiti is, again, the, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and so they just donate all these clothes. And so I've been looking for it, looking for it, looking for it as we've been down there. Finally, this past year in March, we were actually standing on the back of a pickup truck, because that's usually what you're doing. Th that wouldn't fly in the United States, by the way. You know, you're riding down the, the, in the back of a pickup truck holding on. But we're going by, and I see a guy with a 2017 Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl champion T-shirt on. Now, that was the game that the Patriots made the amazing comeback there at the very end. But, yep, there was a guy, and he didn't know any different, right? He's just got this 2017. And so the reason I'm telling you that is what was meant to be a symbol of great victory for the Falcons, turns out that now if they saw it, it's a reminder of the shame and the defeat that they went through. And the reason I share all that with you is for the nation of Israel, the temple had become that very thing. What was supposed to be a symbol of God's glory, a reflection of who he was, had become a picture of their defeat and of their shame. Now, some of you are going, wait a second, Gilbert, what's the temple? Well, let's uh, backtrack a little bit and, and share that with you. If you've got a Bible, though, we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 8 today, if you want to go ahead and start turning there, 1 Kings chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. All the scriptures are provided for you there on the outline that you're handed as you came in. Also, all the scriptures will be on the screen. And if you have a smartphone, you can pull that out, download the YouVersion app, YouVersion, and all the scriptures can be found on YouVersion as well. Now, again, as you're turning there into 1 Kings chapter 8, 
let me explain uh, exactly what this temple thing was about. Back in August, and for those of you that maybe are with us uh, for the first time today, we have actually been, uh, for the uh, uh, last, I don't know, three or four months, going through the Bible just chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter, uh, and story by story. Wendy's saying that she got the wrong thing. Um, did you guys hand out the wrong ones? All right. <laughs> it's like uh, Back to the Future here. We're uh, going back to the future. All right. All right. All right. If somebody has the wrong one, raise your hand. And uh, oh, everybody has that. I'll just sit here for a second. Look at my notes. Hey, this would be a good uh, point to uh, say, if you have a smartphone, uh, we are beta testing today. Uh, new uh, part of our website, it isn't ready, but if you want to try it on your smartphone, uh, do exponential.nucleus.church, and you can actually get our entire bulletin and the outline that you can fill in all the blanks right there on your smartphone. Again, we weren't going to release it today, but maybe this is God saying everybody needs to try it. <laughs> so again, exponential.nucleus.church, and uh, you can... Get all the information there. I tell you what, good helps hard to find. <clears throat> Dad. <laughs> I could only say that because it was my dad, right? All right, are we ready? If you're ready, say I'm ready. Oh, I don't think Lindsay was ready. Anybody else ready? All right, here we go. All right, so what, what is this whole temple thing about? Well, what we looked at back in August was when the nation of Israel had escaped out of Egypt, Moses led them out of Egypt, they're wandering in the desert, and what we discovered is that for those first 20 years, that was very intentional, that God was preparing them, he was training them to be able to go into the promised land. And if you remember, God led them by a cloud by day, a pillar of fire, by night, and anywhere the cloud went, anywhere that the fire went, then they packed up everything and they would move there. Now, where did God's glory, that, that was a representation of his glory, right? His presence, the, the fire and the cloud. Where did it rest? Well, it rested in what was called the tabernacle. Take a look at this here. This is an artist's rendition of what that would look like. And we've talked about this in the past, that they would set up this outer courtyard here. And then you see the, uh, the inner building there, and that's called the holy place. Now, that's where the priests would go in, and they would offer up sacrifices to God on behalf of the sins of the people. Now, inside of the holy place, and there was another room, that was called the Holy of Holies, and that's where the literal presence of God dwelt. His, his glory was in there, in this Holy of Holies. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. Again, they, every time the, the glory of God lifts up, whether by cloud or by fire, they would pack everything up, and they would move. They do this for 20 years. And the next 20 years was in the desert wandering around because it was punishment. God's still living in the tabernacle, the house of God here. They eventually, they go into the promised land. God's still living in the tabernacle. We looked at, there was a 400-year period where the nation of Israel went through these cycles of sinning against God and then coming back to God. That was called the Judges era. God's still living in the tabernacle. Then you have King Saul. God's still living in the tabernacle, in a tent. Then you have King David, God's still living in the tabernacle, in a tent. Finally, it's David that says, wait a second, here I am living in a palace, and God, you're still living out in a tent. I want to build a house for you. 
Now, God told David, you can't do it because your sin is too great. We looked at the sin of David last week. He said, it's just too great. You, you, you can't do it. But your son Solomon will be able to do it for me. He'll be able to build me a temple where I can reside. And that's exactly what Solomon does. Here's the artist rendition again of what the uh, temple would have looked like. It was basically God gave the instructions, the pattern for it, and it was the exact same sort of formula in that there, there was the outer courtyard, and then you would go into the holy place, and then behind that there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the holy of holies. It took 150,000 people eight years to complete this. 4,000 tons of gold was used to just basically um, uh, put over uh, top of everything. There was 40,000 tons of silver that was used, not to mention all the marble, the rubies, and the emeralds that were over all the walls and the pillars. It has been estimated that in today's dollars to do that with all that gold, all that you know, precious stones and everything, be 160 trillion, trillion, that's trillion with a T, 160 trillion dollars to build. Now, at the dedication of the brand new temple, God's glory falls into the Holy of Holies. It moved from the, the tabernacle into the Holy of Holies. God's presence so filled the place that as we read in, in 1 Kings, the priests had to leave the building. That's how, how much the presence of God was there. And so they're now all outside in, in the courtyard area. And Solomon, he gets up and he's going to talk to him now. And that's where we'll pick up 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 12 to 14. It says, Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that we would live, or that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel standing before him, and he prayed a blessing over them. Now, I'm not going to actually read all the scriptures of what this prayer was. It's pretty long, but let me just summarize. There was four different things that Solomon is going to pray for the people of Israel and for this particular temple as it's being dedicated. The first one was this. He said, God, I want you to hear the sincere prayers of every single person that steps foot into this building. Hear their prayers and answer them. Next, he prayed that God would help anybody that stepped into that temple to defeat whatever enemy may be in their lives. Third, he prayed that God help every single person that steps into this temple to grasp the, the weight and the heaviness of their own sin and then turn from that sin, ask for forgiveness, turn from the sin, and God, you forgive them. And then number four, Solomon prayed that even foreign people, that they would come to the temple and they would say, wow, this this is evidence that there really is just one true God. He is the God of Israel, and that people, foreigners, would turn to him and answer even their prayers. Now, we'll pick it back up, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 54 to 58, and then verses 62 to 63. It says, when Solomon finished making these prayers and petitions to the Lord, he stood up in front of the altar of the Lord, where he had been kneeling with his hands raised towards heaven. He stood and in a loud voice blessed the entire congregation of Israel. Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises that he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he is with our ancestors. May he never leave us or abandon us. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey all of his commands, decrees, and regulations that he gave to our ancestors. Then the king and all of Israel with him offered sacrifices to the Lord. Solomon offered to the Lord a peace offering of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. 
And so the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the temple to the Lord. This prayer expressed what the temple was supposed to be. Again, a a place that was a reflection of who God is and and just a a reminder of, of his glory and his presence that was there in their midst. But sadly, for not only the nation of Israel, but even Solomon himself, they didn't adhere to the final part of his prayer that they would obey all the commands and the decrees and the regulations that God had given to the ancestors. Now, I'm not going to go into all of it right now because we're actually going to talk about Solomon in our next series quite a bit. But Solomon's big problem, his weakness, was women. Solomon had 700 wives. And 300 what were called concubines, which are basically sex slaves. 700 wives and then these sex slaves that he has. Solomon had a wide-ranging taste in women, and so he had women brought in from all over the then-known world to either be a wife or to be a sex slave for him. Well, guess what these women from other parts of the world did? Guess what else they brought with them? They brought all their gods. their false gods, their false idols. And unfortunately, not only did they worship these gods, but Solomon himself started to do the same thing. In fact, Solomon built many smaller temples as shrines to these false gods. And Solomon himself started to worship some of them as well. Some of the people then, they saw Solomon as their leader, worshiping these gods, and so they did it as well. So not only were they tolerating false gods amongst themselves, but they were actually participating in it as well. Well, These false gods um, were called Baals. And before I get to that, I know some of you are going, okay, Gilbert, this is great, we're getting a good history lesson, but what does any of this have to do with us? Because, you know, I don't have like any false gods set up in my living room. TV. Um, And and I certainly don't like bring like false gods with me to church here in my pocket on Sundays. You know, there's no uh, false gods or, you know, anything cell phone uh, that that you guys uh, bring in with you that, you know, distracts you from from worshiping God. See, we, we read stories like this and we like criticize, how could they do that? But yet we often do the same thing. Anything that distracts us from God and worshiping fully can become an enemy of our lives. It can become an idol in our lives. It can become a false god to us. And again, for many people, television and our cell phones have become a little god, a little G-O-D in our lives. And we've got to be very, very careful. Now, again, for the nation of uh, Israel, they were worshiping these false gods called Baals. And Baal wasn't just a single god. Baal was uh, a god that... Anytime you had a need of some sort, you prayed to the God of whatever. And so there was, you know, the, the God or the, the Baal of health. There was a Baal for fertility. There was a, a Baal for if we need rain to come. You know, you prayed to that, that Baal. There was the Baal of the, the harvest, which was called a Baal of hay. All right, I, I, made, that, I made that one up. All right, I made that one up. Um, now, the, the Greeks had done the same thing, right? Um, the, the Greeks had their little false gods. They, had, they called them goddesses. And you may know some of these names. There was Artemis, the goddess of money. Athena, the goddess of intellect. Nike, the goddess of victory. Uh, Paphrodite, the goddess of sex. And uh, as you study that particular one, the way that they uh, worshipped uh, her was they had what was called temple prostitutes. 
And so to worship, you came in and you slept with the temple prostitute. I mean, that's one way to get more guys in the church, I guess, but it's not the, it's not the, right, it's not the right way to do it either. Uh, there was Cloacina. She was the goddess of the sewer system. I did not make that up. That's actually true. There was a goddess of the sewer system. How they worshipped her, I don't know. Maybe they lit candles in the bathroom. I don't know. You know? Um, a- anyway, they, they had all these, these goddesses that they would worship. My point is this. Solomon's prayer had been that the people would trust God to meet all their needs. But now they're trusting in false gods to meet their needs. And again, we do the exact same thing. We don't call them Baals. We don't call them even idols or gods. But many times we look to other people. We look to other things to meet the needs that we have in our lives. And of course, that's wrong. We can't do that. Now, sadly, because of all this, just as God had threatened, the nation of Israel actually got kicked out of the promised land. It's their very own country. And they now get kicked out. It actually starts in 772 B.C. when the Assyrians came in and they conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel, took them off into captivity and the slavery. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and conquered the two remaining southern tribes. Now, right before the last two tribes were taken out of Israel, the prophet Ezekiel, he has a vision of this whole thing happening. And so as we look at Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4, we read this. The glory of the Lord rose from above the guardian angels and went over to the door of the temple. So again, God's glory is there in the temple, right? In the Holy of Holies. And there's these guardian angels that are in there overwatching the whole thing. But here it says in Ezekiel that the glory of the Lord rose from above the guardian angels and went over to the door of the temple. The temple was filled with the cloud of glory and the court of the temple was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Skip down then to verses 18 and 19. Then the glory of the Lord left the temple's entrance and stood over the angels. The angels lifted their wings and rose from the ground. I was watching them as they left with wheels beside them. And the angels stood at the door to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of the Lord of Israel was above them. Go down to Ezekiel eleven twenty three. The glory of the Lord did what? The glory of the Lord left the temple, then did what? Left Jerusalem and settled above on a mountain to the east of it. Now, at this point, you've got to wonder, is that it? Is that the end of the story? You remember God had done all this. We, we've looked at it over the last couple months of God wanting the, the relationship with them, and he, he wants them to have their own land, this promised land, and, and now all of a sudden they're there, and, and they have a house for him to live in, but now he has literally left the building. Is that the end of the story? Is he done with people? Is he done with humanity? And the answer, of course, is no. The Bible doesn't end with the book of Ezekiel. Remember, God was determined to bring salvation to the human race. It was a promise that he had given over and over and over again. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned, that he promised that I'm going to bring salvation. And he kept going, whether it was through Noah, whether it was through you know, people like Joshua or Moses or David or, you know, we talked about uh, Gideon the other week. I mean, through every single person, he kept saying, I'm going to bring salvation to the human race. It's going to come. It's going to come. It was his promise. Now, fast forward 
many, many years later, and it's now the final week of Jesus' life here on the earth. And Jesus tells his disciples, we need to go back into Jerusalem. It's time for me to complete my mission. Now, on the way to Jerusalem, instead of taking the most direct route, Jesus actually takes a little bit of a detour. He actually climbs up onto the exact same mountain where Ezekiel said that the glory of God had rested. And it's up on that mountain that Jesus gets on a donkey and he rides down off the mountain. And scripture tells us that he rides in through the east gate of Jerusalem, exactly the same gate that Ezekiel had said the glory of God had left through. And from there, he goes through the gate and he rides into the temple, the same temple that Ezekiel said the glory of God had left from. And it's there that Jesus takes a whip and he drives out all the money changers and all the people that had corrupted the temple. Jesus was bringing the glory of God back to the temple, back into the holy of holies. Now remember, when Solomon dedicated the temple, the holy of holies fell. What did he do? He offered up what? Sacrifice, right? 142,000 animals in total. He offers up as a sacrifice. A week later, Jesus offers himself up as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God that was going to take away all the sin of the world. And what's very interesting is at that very moment of his death, something amazing happens. Look at Matthew 27. Actually, let let me go back. Uh, I skipped uh, one scripture here just to make sure that uh, we're clear on this. Luke 19, uh, 46 Jesus said, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of what? A house of of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so again, he's cleansing, he's restoring, he's making the temple back into what it was supposed to be, a place for the glory of God to be, a place where prayer was prominent. Now again, as I said, there's a very fascinating Thing that happens at the very moment of Jesus' death. Look at Matthew 27, verses 50 to 51. It says, Jesus loudly cried out once again, and then he did what? He gave up his life, which means he what? He died, right? And it says, suddenly, the curtain in the temple was split. It was split in two from top to bottom. Once again, the Holy Spirit was going to leave the temple. But this time, it wasn't as punishment. This time, it was signaling that now the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, the presence of God was going to be available to anybody, anywhere, at any time. This was signaling that no longer do you have to come to the temple and come to the priest with your sacrifice and say to the priest, now, you go to God and and ask for forgiveness for me. No, now, you yourself had the ability to do that. Jesus came to take away sin once and for all. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You just need Jesus. The Apostle Paul then reminds us of a very, very important truth to remember about this whole process then. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Your body is the, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You understand what this is saying? That it used to be that you had to go to the priest and go to the temple, and that's where God resided. 
Now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you don't need a priest anymore. You just need Jesus. He is your high priest. You can go to him directly for the forgiveness of your sins. You can go to him directly for anything that you possibly need in your life. And he says, guess what? I'm sending my spirit to live in you. The spirit no longer lives in a building made by human hands. The spirit now lives in the human body. Your body Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important that we honor God with our lives. You know, you've heard me say before that there's many things that you don't do on a Sunday morning in this building that you do do out there. Because you're like, oh, I couldn't do that in here because this is God's holy place. No, it isn't God's holy place. You, your body is God's holy place. You are the temple of the Spirit. You are where the glory of God resides, in you. And so if you wouldn't do it in this building, don't do it anywhere. Because God is in you. He lives in you and and through you. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the message, I said that there was four things that Solomon had prayed as the temple got dedicated. He prayed these four things, that God would hear the sincere prayer of anybody that entered into the temple, that he would help anybody that entered into the temple to defeat their enemies, that number three, that anybody that entered into the temple would realize that the depth and the magnitude of their own sinfulness, and they would turn to God and ask for forgiveness, and that he would hear those prayers and forgive them. And then number four, that any foreign person who was visiting the temple would realize that he is the one true God, and that they would turn from their sin, and they would turn to him and that he would answer even their prayers. Now, some of you are already getting a little bit ahead of me, but if that was the prayer that he prayed for the physical temple, guess what? That same thing now applies to who? To us, to our bodies. So let's, let's cover those. On your outline there, the first thing is, if you are God's temple, I must sincerely pray to God in faith. Now, notice that I said that our prayers need to be sincere and in faith. It's not just sincerity of your prayer. It's that you pray your prayers in faith. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he actually criticizes the the Pharisees, the people who ended up killing him then. He criticizes them because he's like, look, it's not about these, like, the eloquence of your words. It's not about how long your prayers are. It's about, are you praying in sincerity? Are you praying in faith? In other words, what I'm saying to you is, When you pray, do you really believe the words that you say? Or are they just gobbledygook that you're just like, okay, God, you know, blah, 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 and you're just going on and on rambling, but you don't actually believe that he's going to answer your prayer? You got to believe in faith. Here's why this is important. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse uh, 22. Jesus says, you can pray for what? You can pray for? anything and if you have faith you will receive it isn't that cool right you can pray for anything and if you have faith you're going to receive it now here's where we got to be careful there's this thing in christianity called name it and claim it right that oh well jesus said i can ask for anything and it'll be given to me in faith so God, give me a million dollars. I always love that people always ask for a million dollars. If you're going to ask for something, ask for a billion dollars. I mean, why would you stop at a million, right? 
<laughs> Wendy says it's good you'd be greedy. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you'll hear these people, and, and there's a lot of false teaching. This is called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The people say that, look, the, the whole purpose of the, the gospel is so that you'll never get sick, that you'll always be wealthy, that your life will always go great, you know, nothing's ever bad going to happen to you. And there's a lot of false teachers, a lot of them are on TV, a lot of them come here to Hershey and set up and they, they do their things, right? Health, wealth, and prosperity, that's what God wants for you, it's his will for you. Here's the problem with that, Jesus. Jesus was a homeless carpenter. A poor homeless carpenter who suffered immensely. If it didn't work out for Jesus to be a name it and claim it guy, it's not going to work out for you. Jesus, on the, the night before he, he's crucified, he prays and he says to God, God, if it's your will, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I don't want to have to do this. But it's not about my will being done. It's about your will being done. And so we got to be very careful when we're, we're praying not to get into this name it and claim it type of thing because it's all about praying in the will of God. In fact, one of Jesus' best friends, a guy by the name of John, he talks about this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. He says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, so anything according to his will, he hears us. That's the secret to prayer, praying in accordance to his will. So when you pray that prayer, of, oh, God, give me a million dollars, that may not be his will. Because as Wendy pointed out, maybe you're greedy. And he's like, I don't want to give you more. I want you to learn to live on less. I want you to learn to depend on me. Or, you know, sometimes God does allow things to happen in your life. Not because he hates you, but because he's trying to strengthen your faith. Again, it's all about a relationship with him, about who are you trusting. And Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. And so we got to pray, and pray sincerely, and, and pray in, in faith, but we got to pray in accordance with the will of God. Not my will be done, but let your will be done. Number two then, I must ask God to help me to defeat my enemies. Now, you probably don't have any physical enemies. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, again, you probably don't have idols that you worship at home. But that doesn't mean that we don't have enemies that we fight against. Because an enemy is anything that fights for our devotion to God. Anything that, that keeps us from trusting in God is an enemy. And so we've, we've got to be careful. You know, if you're a single person and, and you have made getting married an idol, and I'm not saying every single person does this, but, but many do, right? That they're like, I just need to find somebody else because that's what's going to fulfill me. Or we take sex and, and we start having sex outside of marriage because we're like, that's what I need. Well, it's not about your needs. It's not about your will being done. It's about God's will being done. And God says, sex is reserved simply for marriage. Nowhere else. Or, you know, when it comes to, to finances, well, a lot of times we're like, oh, man, I, I don't know, with my finances, I can, I can trust God. And so we start to hoard money. 
and we're not generous. We don't tithe. We don't do all the things that God says we should be doing with our money because we think that it's about us and, and that we've got the best plan. Again, some people will do that. They're like, oh, I, I think that my plan is better for my life than what God's plan is for my life. Well, that's an enemy. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. Some of you don't trust that God can protect you, so you don't go on a mission trip with us down to Haiti. That fear, that's an enemy of God. Anything that keeps you from doing God's will is an enemy. And so we need to be praying constantly, constantly, that God help me to defeat my enemies of doubt and fear and mistrust or whatever it may be. Loneliness or pride, greed, envy, jealousy, lust, whatever it is, God help me to defeat these things. And what I found through the years is, and I put this on your outline, the, the easiest way to pray to defeat your enemies is by praying scripture back to them. Just pray scripture back. Because what, what happens so often is, you know, we'll, we'll have something in our lives that we're, we're fearful about, let's say. And we're like, oh man, I'm, I'm so, so scared right now. And you, you keep trying to like have that little, you know, little engine that could, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I'm not going to be scared, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to, well, you giving yourself a pep talk usually isn't going to be good. You know what is good? You know what defeats Satan in your life? The Word of God. Jesus, every single time he was tempted in the desert, he didn't say, well, here's what I think about the situation. He would say, God's word says, Satan would come again. He'd say, you know what? That's right, but God's word says, and every single time you quote the word of God back to Satan, he has to flee. He cannot stand the word of God. And as you read through scripture and, and you, you look at the, uh, at the armor of God that he's given us, Everything in that is defensive armor except for one thing. That is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Word of God. This book is your sword to be able to defeat your enemy. And so when you have fear in your life, it's not about you trying to convince yourself that, oh, I'm not afraid here. You say, you know what, God, your word says that you did not give me a spirit of fear, but you gave me a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so, God, because your word declares that, I am accepting that. I am believing that in faith, that that is a word for me. And Satan has to flee. Or a lot of you, you, you get worried, and you're constantly worried, and you're chewing your nails, and you're like, oh, man, I don't know about this. I shouldn't be worried. You know, was, I don't want to worry, I don't want to worry, I don't want to worry, I don't want to worry. Stop saying that. Start saying the word of God. Quote the word of God. Pray the word of God. The great peace have they that love his law and nothing can cause them to stumble. God, I love you. I love your word. I love your law. And you promise that nothing can cause me to stumble. God, your word says to be anxious about nothing but, in, but to pray about everything. And that as I, I pray, and I give these things to you that your peace which surpasses all understanding, it's going to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So God, you promised to give it to me right now. 
or you got financial issues. You're trying to figure out everything that you can do to, to overcome those things. You're hoarding the money and you're just, you know what you need to do? Start praying God's word. Pray God's word. God, you said that you will provide for all of my needs according to your riches and glory. Again, it's about praying the will of God. And guess what? God's word is the will of God. And so the more you, you get these things in you, the better off you're going to be. The, the very first thing that you should memorize is Psalm 119.11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. You know, these scriptures that I've just been quoting to you, did you notice I wasn't looking at them? You're going, well, yeah, you're a pastor. You know when I memorized all those? Before I was a pastor. You know why? Because I needed it. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. See, if this is our sword, if this is what defeats the enemy, we can't go into the battle without our sword. You can't be at the office on Monday morning and all of a sudden Satan shows up and you're like, oh, wait a second, Satan, I've got to go find my Bible. <laughs> you can't be in a tempting situation and you're like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And go, uh, I should probably look up a, a scripture verse about this right now. You don't have time in that moment to do it. You need to already have it in you. Somebody go, I can't memorize anything. You know what, there's a, a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. Um, <laughs> let, let me translate it for you. It's uh, in English, it's called baloney, all right? You memorize whatever's important to you. Do you have your kids' names memorized? Yeah, why? Because they're important to you. <laughs> Do you know how to get to work without GPS? Yeah, because it's important to you. There's a lot of things that you have memorized. We memorize what's important to us. And if defeating the enemy of Satan is important to you, you will start to hide God's word in your heart. Number three, I must pray and ask for God's forgiveness. Earlier, Paul said that the, where, where's the temple now? Is it a, a human building that has been made? Where's the temple? Us, right, our, our what? Our, our bodies, right? And he continues on then in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, and says, your body is no longer your own. God paid a great price for you. So use your body to honor God. Did you pick up on that? Your body is not your own. It's not your body anymore. You know, as, as, like, as bad as what abortion is and, and everything, and, and you'll hear like women saying, well, you know, it's my body, I can do whatever I want to do. What really frustrates me is when I hear Christian women even say that. Because this scripture says that the moment you pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come in and be the leader of your life, that you said, Jesus, you gave up your body, you sacrificed your body for me, guess what? Now we are in turn to give our body back to him. It's not your life anymore. It's not your body. Nothing is yours. Your house isn't yours. Your car isn't yours. Your paycheck isn't yours. Nothing is yours. It all belongs to him. He paid a great price 
for you, for your salvation. So it's not about you. It's not about your body. It's not about what you want anymore. You're going, well, Gilbert, that's not fair. Well, you know what isn't fair? An innocent man dying on the cross for your sin. That's not fair. You know what else isn't fair? What else isn't fair? Or I'd actually, I, I'm saying the wrong thing. That wasn't fair, but he has a better plan for you than you have for yourself. You know, oftentimes we think, I know what's best for my life. Take your wildest hopes and dreams and imagination of what the best life you could possibly have of what you can conceive in your own mind and then multiply that by infinity and that's the plan God has for you. His plans for your life are much better than your own plans for your life. It's not about you and what you want. It's all about him. Now, obviously, sometimes we forget that, don't we? And we sin. We mess up. And so that's why in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read this. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. You remember what Jesus did when he, he brought the glory of God back into the temple? What was the first thing he did? He, he cleansed the temple. He brought the glory of God back in. And anytime you allow sin into your life, into the, the temple of your body, he says, I want to come in and, and cleanse that. I want to restore the glory of God in you, help you to be who I want you to be. And so we, we've got to pray and, and ask for his forgiveness. And ask him to, to, uh, to do that for us. Because not only does he have the power to cleanse us, but he has the willingness to do it as well. And when we do that, when we're a, a pure vessel, a pure temple for God, his glory is going to shine through us. And that brings me to the fourth point. That I must share that this good news is for everyone. Remember, Solomon had prayed that when foreigners would come to the temple, that they would realize that, wow, this is the one true God of Israel. He is the one true God of the whole world and that they would turn to him and give their lives to him and that he would answer even their prayers. But now who's the temple? Who's the temple now? You are. And so now when foreigners, people outside of the faith, when they see your life, when they hear your words, when they see your actions, they should be able to say, wow, wow. The glory of God is in this place, right? When I say this place, your body, the glory of God is in this place. And they should be able to, through your words, through your actions, through everything that you do, your life, be able to say, there is a one true God. And I'm going to turn to him for the forgiveness of my sin and to be the leader of my life. Paul, he actually has a, an interesting uh, way of describing this, a, a metaphor for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. He says, we are Christ, what? We are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
It's interesting he uses this word ambassador. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody that speaks on behalf of somebody else. So, for example, our president, no matter who the president is, we have ambassadors throughout the whole world. So we have an ambassador in China, an ambassador in Brazil. You know, every country has an ambassador for the United States. And that person does not speak what they want to speak. They speak on behalf of the president. And that's what we're called to be as followers of Jesus. That your body is no longer your own. It's not about what you want, what you want to do, and what you want to say, and where you want to go, all that kind of stuff. No, you are his ambassador everywhere you go. And you are to speak on his behalf. And what does Paul say here that we're to say? We speak for him. We plead for him. Come back to God. Start a relationship with Jesus. Turn from your sin. Now again, if you're living in sin, if the glory of God has departed from you, people aren't going to look at you and say, it's just a building. It's just a body. Why are you saying these things? You're being preachy to me. You're trying to shove your religion down my throat. But if you've allowed him to come in and cleanse you, to keep you pure, to keep you holy, that the glory of God is so much in you and on you, people go, wow, there's something different about that person. I want what they have. How can I have what you have? Now when you say it's all because of Jesus, now they accept it instead of rejecting it. You, therefore, are Christ's ambassador. And we are to take his good news of the gospel to every people, every nation, every language, every tribe, every race. Say that there's a God who loves you so much that he came and he died for you. And he just wants a relationship with you. He's willing to give you a fresh start as long as you're willing to turn to him. And listen, if you'll start to pray these prayers, and you'll allow God to, to come into your life in fullness, and his glory shines through you, if, if you pray these four prayers we talked about today, oh man, you are going to see your life change. You're going to see your workplace change. You're going to see this community change. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be absolutely amazing. But it's your choice. You remember I started the, the message talking about those T-shirts, right? That the, the T-shirts that were supposed to be a, a symbol of God's victory. For the losing team, they become a symbolic of their failure and of their shame. You are the temple. Your body is the temple. Is your body a symbol of God's victory or is it a reminder of your shame? Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to come together to worship you through uh, the music and through the giving that we're going to do in a little bit, through the preaching and teaching of your word. And Father, I pray that your spirit has been speaking to each and every one of us, that, that we've seen maybe a, a different side of this whole story of Christianity that we maybe never seen before, and that we've come to realize that, wow, what I do in my body is very important because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that each and every one of us would just take a 
just a moment here just to reflect on our own lives and say, God, is there anything in me that is displeasing to you? Am I doing anything that you wouldn't have me to do? And that, Lord, if you reveal those things that we would just, again, confess our sins because you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to, to cleanse us, to, to make the temple pure once again. So, Lord, help us to, to not only ask for your forgiveness, but then to turn from those sins. To say, God, I want your glory to shine in me and through me like never before so that, that people do look at me and go, something's different about them so that I can be your ambassador and share with as many people as possible the good news of what Jesus did for all of us. Lord, I, I thank you that you give us free will, free choice. You don't force us to do any of this. You say it's completely up to us. Lord, I'm thankful that over the past 25 years, as I've turned to you, that I've seen that when I get on board with your plan, you have a much better plan for me than what I ever did for myself. And you've allowed me to, to do things and go places and experience things that I never would have thought possible, not because of who Gilbert is, but because of who you are. And Lord, I pray that each and every person, whether here today live or listening to this podcast, Lord, that they would experience that for themselves and that they would start praying sincerely to you in faith and that, God, you would hear their prayer, those prayers that are in accordance with your will, and that you would start to use them just to do great and mighty things in their family, in their workplace, in their school, in their community here, and ultimately all around the world as well. God, use us to bring your glory to this earth. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.